Amen. The first point that I want to, to uh, focus on is that Jesus' death was an act of love. Now, there's, there's a lot of different motives that can be used for things, okay? Things can be an obligation or a duty. But I would say that Jesus' death was much more than just an obligation to do what needed to be done. It was more than duty that brought him to the cross. Now, sometimes things are done because they're forced, okay? And um, did the father force the son to do this? No, we don't see that anywhere. I mean, I grew up, and I had a father, and I was thankful for my father, but he forced me to do some things, you know? And so I endured it, but I thought, when I have kids, I'm going to do it to them. It's only fair. So I forced them to do things. I remember Dad saying this one time, and I don't even know if he was mad at me or not, but he said this one time. He said, I brought you into this world, and I can take you out of this world. <laughs> I, I don't even know where that came from, I just, but it did make an impression on my mind when I heard that. So, uh, you know, My dad was not abusive in any way, but he certainly was dad. Let's look at the Father's, God the Father's motive in this whole thing, that his son, would be a sacrifice, the lamb, the sacrificial lamb that was slain from the very foundation of the world. It was in the plan of God from the very beginning. Jesus was talking to a man named Nicodemus. It was in the evening. Nicodemus was kind of a, a religious uh, leader. And, and the words that Jesus told him are words we're very familiar with. I mean, if there's a Bible verse that anybody has memorized, it's probably this one, John 3.16, okay? But that was Jesus speaking to Nicodemus, who was curious about eternal life and how you could have it. And he said this, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. What was the motive of God in all of this? It was love. For God so loved the world. And when I read the world, I think everybody. You know, I mean, I'm not thinking of a select few. I mean, God loved the world, and he gave his son. How about Jesus' motive? In Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, it says this. Be imitators of God. That's, that's a big one. Be imitators of God. Therefore, as dearly loved children were loved and live a life of love just as christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to god why did jesus do that he loved us i mean it was an act of love him going to the cross it was our only hope also there was no other way that sin could be taken care of and we could be forgiven Let's go to Jesus' words again. John 15, verse 12. Talking with his disciples, those who had chosen to follow him. He said, my command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. 
that's our command, to love one another. You can look at anybody in this room. And Jesus said, I want you to love one another the same way I have loved you. Wow, you talk about we're really called to be in relationship and care about one another. Then it goes on to say, greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. That's like the greatest thing you can do is actually surrender your entire life for the sake of someone else, which is what Jesus did. Now, let me ask a question here. Let's say you're in a marriage and your spouse treats you really well. And your spouse takes care of your physical needs. But they don't really love you. They just want to fulfill their obligations. Would you be interested in that kind of a marriage? Everything's taken care of, but it's out of duty and obligation, and there's no love involved. You know, that'd be rough. Because there's something about us that we're not expecting the other person to be perfect, but we want to love, and we want to receive love. And Jesus' motive wasn't just doing everything perfectly and right. It was love. Ephesians 5.25 says this, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That's huge. But Jesus loves his church. And Jesus gave himself up for his church. And Jesus wants everyone to be in his church. That's his desire. Let me read a story here. I have uh, things kind of mixed in. Bible scholar and pastor N.T. Wright retells the following story about an archbishop who was hearing a con uh, confessions of sin from three hardened teenagers in the church. All three boys were trying to make a joke out of it, so they met with the archbishop and confessed to a long list of ridiculous and grievous sins that they had not committed. It was all a joke. The archbishop, seeing through their bad practical joke, played along with the first two who ran out of the church laughing. But then he listened carefully to the third prankster, and before he got away, he told the young man, Okay, you have confessed these sins. Now I want you to do something to show your repentance. I want you to walk up to the far end of the church, and I want you to look at the picture of Jesus hanging on the cross. And I want you to look at his face and say, you did all that for me, and I don't care that much. And I want you to do that three times. And so the boy went to the front, looked at the picture of Jesus, and said, you did all that for me, and I don't care that much. And he said it again. But then he couldn't say it the third time because he broke down in tears. And the archbishop telling the story said, the reason I know that story is that I was that third young man. There is something about the cross, something about Jesus dying there for us, which leaps over all the theoretical discussions, all the possibilities of how we explain it this way or that way, and it grasps us. And when we're grasped by it, somehow we have a sense that what is grasping us 
is the love of God. Jesus went to that cross because he loved us. The Father sent his Son to that cross because he loved us. Jesus' death was an act of love. Secondly, Jesus' death purchased our freedom. Oh, we need to see that. Jesus wants us to be free. That's his desire. He went to the cross so we could be free. I want us to look at some verses here. One of the things that Jesus wants to set us free from is condemnation, being under condemnation. Now, without Christ in our lives, we're under God's condemnation. Okay, But sometimes as Christians, we kind of fall under the devil's condemnation. And Jesus wants us free from that. John 3, 17 and 18. Again, these are the words of Jesus. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he's not believed in the name of God's one and only son. The world is under the condemnation of God because of sin, because they've broken his laws. There's judgment. But Jesus was sent not to condemn the world. The world's already condemned. To save the world from that condemnation. Jesus wants us to be free from condemnation. How about the Christian? John 8, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, there is now no condemnation. For those who are in Christ Jesus. Now that's a pretty powerful verse. There's therefore now no condemnation for them who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. And I want to encourage you, if you're a Christian and you're carrying a weight of condemnation and guilt from things that are in the past. That's not what God's will is. Okay? He wants you to release that to him. He wants you free. Free to serve him, to love him with all of your heart. To serve others and love them with all of your heart. Freedom from condemnation. He wants us to be free from slavery to sin. He just wants us to be free from it. Romans 6, 3 and 7, and it's picturing water baptism. This water baptism symbolizes this death to the old life and the bondage that it was in and being raised to a new life that is now in Christ and is no longer a slave to sin, but is a new creation that can walk with God. Okay, Romans 6, 3 through 7, or have you forgotten that when we became Christians and were baptized to become one with Christ Jesus, we died with him? That's not figurative. We did die with Christ. Okay? For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. We're raised to a new life in Christ. It's not like a it's not a do-over. It's a whole new life. Verse 5 says, since we have been united with him, with Christ, in his death, we will also be raised as he was. 
Our old sinful selves, that old nature, the old us, were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. Sin is very powerful, but Jesus is so much more powerful. And Jesus died to break the power of sin in people's lives. And Jesus was raised back to life so that we could also be raised to a new life in him, with him by his spirit in us, helping us overcome the things of this world and the bondages that we were in. It's, it's pretty good plan. You know? <laughs> okay. We are no longer slaves to sin. For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. The devil will convince you that you're not set free from the power of sin. He will try to he will hammer that in you over and over and over again. If you fail, if you fall, he will hammer that in you. But he is a liar. We have been set free from the power of sin. Now, it's a process of that working out in our lives. But it's a process that God is committed to. You are now my creation created in Christ Jesus for good works. What I have begun in you, I will complete. He is faithful. He's faithful. Romans 6.14 says this, Sin is no longer your master. Sin is no longer your master. For you are no longer subject to the law. As long as you're under the law, sin is your master. But now when you've, when you've said, no, law is not it, I'm going to embrace grace, I'm going to embrace Christ, that's where the freedom comes. Sin is no longer your master, for you're no longer subject to the law, which enslaves you to sin. Instead, you are free by God's grace. It is the favor of God on your life that enables you to overcome sins that may have gotten, some things have been in family lineage for years. You know what I'm saying? But Jesus breaks those things. He does. So Jesus' death purchased our freedom. People have, humans have given their lives for the sake of the freedom of others. Memorial Day, that's what that's all about. Jesus gave his life to set us free, to make us free. He wants us free from the works of the devil. He does. 1 John 3, 8 says this. It's the last part of the verse. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested. For this person, he came, he, you know, he made himself uh, visible and walked on this earth. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Let me tell you, he wants to, Jesus wants to destroy the works of the enemy. And if the enemy has any work still in us, you know, where there's things that are still there, you know what? Jesus came to destroy that and to set us free. Oppression? Jesus wants us to be free. Hopelessness? Sometimes Christians go through times of hopelessness. You know what? Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. He wants to get us free. Depression? Even sickness? There's healing through him. We, we keep our eyes on Jesus. Let me read this, this story here. <clears throat> in her book, Incidents in the Life of a Slave Girl, 
Harriet Jacobs wrote these words about her years of slavery. Quote, Only by experience can anyone realize how deep and dark and foul is that pit of abominations. End quote. Harriet was born in 1813 in North Carolina. For the first six years of her life, she lived in a comfortable home with her parents and brother, not realizing she was a slave. But when her mother died, Harriet learned she wasn't free. At age 15, her new master, Dr. James Norcom, pursued and harassed Harriet, while Norcom's wife oppressed her. Seeking to protect herself, Harriet turned to a white, unmarried lawyer and bore him two children. Norcom retaliated by sending Harriet to a plantation to work as a field hand. Not wanting her children to become plantation slaves, she ran away before they could join her there. With the help of sympathetic neighbors, both black and white, she made her way to her grandmother's home. For the next seven years, Harriet lived in a tiny cubby hole under the front porch roof. The confined space was nine feet by seven feet with a sloping ceiling that was only three feet high at one end. She shared her hiding place for seven years with rats and mice. During this time, Harriet wrote to Norcom asking him to sell her the children. He refused. However, the children's father did buy the boy and girl, allowing them to stay with Harriet's grandmother. Hiding even from her children, Harriet would squint through a peephole, hoping to catch a glimpse of them playing outside. Can you imagine that? In 1842, Harriet escaped to the north, and two years later, her children joined her. Still, she was in danger of being returned to slavery by Dr. Norcom and the Fugitive Slave Law of 1850. Complete liberation did not come until Harriet was 40 years old when her employer bought her freedom for $300. Harriet Jacobs knew about slavery, fear, and brutality. She experienced the pain of a family torn apart, the indignity of being sold as property, and the uncertainty of living at the whim of someone else. Harriet wrote about her life experiences, and in 1861, the year of the Civil War, Harriet... Uh, the year the Civil War began, Incidents in the Life of a Slave Girl was published. Harriet concluded her book with these words. Last words in the book. Quote, Reader, my story ends with freedom. There was a lot of years of struggle there. But she said, my story ends with freedom. There's a lot of stories in this room. A lot of stories in this room. Things that happened in the past. Things that were done in the past. Slavery to a lot of different stuff. But because of Jesus, every one of us can say, but reader, my story ends with freedom. It ends with freedom. Church, Jesus died so that we could be free from, the, from that sin is such a hard taskmaster. It's just a terrible taskmaster. And Jesus wants us free. We got any people that are free in here today? We're free. We're free. It's awesome.
you know, I watch television. I see people who's they they just you know extremely rich, living this life of just luxury and everything. And I'm looking and I'm thinking, but they're not free. They're not free. <laughs> you know, I haven't seen money make people free. <laughs> you, know? you can enjoy the pleasures for a while, but it just doesn't make you free. Jesus makes you free. Well, the third point is this. Jesus' death became our example to follow. That was a little tougher. <laughs> okay. Jesus said that life wasn't about being served. That's not the purpose of life. To be served. To get everything you want. That is not the purpose of life. As Melania would say, it's not about me. <laughs> okay. It's not about me with brownies. <laughs> yes, that is pretty tempting. These are Jesus' words in Matthew 20, verse 28. Just as the Son of Man, he called himself Son of God and Son of Man, because he was both. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Men and women in the military died serving. Okay, there, there have been many, and we honor them. Jesus died serving. He died serving. I didn't come to be served, but to serve, and to give my life for all of you. He died serving. And he said life was about serving. Luke 9, 23. Then he said to the crowd, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must put aside your selfish ambition. It's not about you anymore. You must put aside your selfish ambition, shoulder your cross daily, and follow me. If you try to keep your life for yourself, you will lose it. If it's something that you're hanging on to dearly, I will live my life the way I want to live my life. I will do what I want to do, and it is about me. He says, if you live your life that way, you're going to end up losing it. But if you give up your life for me, you will find true life. Jesus, my life is yours. Guide me. Use me. Change me. Have your way with me. It's, a, it's an awesome process. It's full of lots of joy and lots of pain, but it's an awesome process. But that's when you really find life. Jesus said, I've come that you would have life and have it more abundantly. The more abundantly. But that comes from walking with him. I'll finish with this story. Story number three. Here we go. Ah, there we are. This one, um, part of it came out of the New York Times in May of 2017. In the midst of the chaos and panic ensuing from the recent bombing at a concert in Manchester, England, 
An unlikely person is being lauded as a hero for his swift and selfless action. Chris Parker, a 33-year-old homeless man from the area, was seen helping numerous concert goers escape the arena instead of fleeing to his own safety. Do you remember that bomb that went off at that concert? Yeah, well, he, this, this guy was there. The New York Times reports that he was seen removing shrapnel from a child's arms and a young girl's face, wrapping another girl who had lost her legs in a t-shirt and cradling a dying woman in his arms. Parker had arrived outside the arena for an opportunity to beg, but jumped to action once the blast went off and he realized what had happened. Quote, just because I am homeless doesn't mean I haven't got a heart or I'm not human still, end quote. He told reporters, I would like to think someone would come and help me if I needed the help. Jesus came because we needed help. We were hopeless, okay, absolutely hopeless. Jesus, in his love, came for us because we couldn't help ourselves. But it's interesting. Jesus went back to the Father again, right? But he didn't take us with him. He didn't take his followers with him. He's still not doing that. You know, if you receive Jesus and bam, you just go to be with him, that's not happening. I know some of you have prayed that, but it's just not happening, okay? There's a plan in all of this. Jesus came to help and to serve us. And Jesus left his followers behind so that they could help and serve the rest of the time they're on this earth. The same purpose Jesus had, to help and to serve. That is the call of God on our lives. It shows up in a lot of different ways, but we have been called to help and to serve others for as long as we're here. And it's an adventure. And it shows up in so many different ways. And Jesus said, I'll be with you always. Until the very end of time, I will be with you. So, finishing this up. Jesus' death, it was an act of love. Jesus' death, it purchased our freedom. Jesus' death, it became our example to follow. But there's life in it. And so I want to close the service. I'll have the worship team come up. We're going to um, just worship Jesus together as we bring the service to a close. Um, if anybody wants to come up and pray, the altars are 